0: you are listening to filthy armenian adventures i just want to say you know can we can we all get along can we can we get along um can we stop making it making it horrible for for the for the older people and the and the and the, and the kids Part of the complexity of living through history is the process of explaining things about the past that you never explain to yourself. So many temporary realities, distantly viewed in the rear-view mirror, will appear ridiculous to any person who wasn't there. How could this have happened, they ask, and the skepticism is reasonable. Their questions are impossible to answer outside of the non-expository truth. What seems weird now didn't seem weird then. In fact, what seems weird now once seemed predictable. It did not feel outrageous, for example, that Polly Shore spent much of the 90s as a bankable movie star. Who are you? Where you been? Where you from? Got on the tip of your You lie so much you believe yourself. Judge not. Today's episode is a reverie on the 90s. The decade and the book by Chuck Klosterman that covers the decade. And uh you know, I just have to warn you in advance it it gets it gets sad in places because because the 90s were just so good. They were just so much better. Ah I, they were so much better than now. It's, it's hard. It's hard to it's hard to count the ways in which they were better. Uh, back then, a stupid thing wasn't being locked down in your house forever. A stupid thing was clear cola. You had the best basketball player who ever lived just deciding in the peak of his career, hey, why don't I play baseball? Why don't I play baseball? Because it was a free country. The country was free, or at least it seemed free, and it was free. It was just so much better in every single way. And the internet was, was like a positive thing, and everything was hopeful. And communism had been defeated. There's so many ways in which the 90s, we look we're, we look back at the 90s, and we're just paralyzed with not even nostalgia, because we didn't feel it at the time. It's not nostalgia When you didn't feel it at the time, is it? Is that nostalgia? We have a long, we have an envy for the 90s and we have a sort of punishment, uh, a punishment that we like to mete out to ourselves for not having appreciated the 90s. For me personally, the 90s were shit. I mean, the 90s began with the separation of my parents and. They ended with the official, nasty, bitter, never talk to each other again, divorce of my parents, and in between, I had we had Rodney King over here, the Rodney King riots. We had the O.J. trial very close to home on the other side of town. Uh, we had a massive split within my mother's side of the family with ugly, nasty lawsuits and theft. We had. Uh, It was one fucking trial after another. And I had my moments. I mean, I was five when it started and I was 15 when it ended. I had my moments. I had my adventures in the world of commerce and, and things. But it really wasn't until 2000 that I started to land on my feet. And so for me personally, it was a very painful decade. But I'm still able to look at it objectively and be like, well, this, is, this was fucking great in every which way, including the stupid ways. Including the, the most insane, ridiculous parts of it were all sort of innocent and fun. And for the most part, people were real. People were real. And the things we talked about, and the things we cared about were basically real. Even when they were fake. So what is there to do but hope that there is some reality in our current shitty time, which is definitely objectively shitty. Hope that there's some reality that is actually worth cherishing in the moment. Um, And look for that reality. Maybe it's the fact that I am talking to you and you are listening to me. Anyway, I hope we don't get too bummed out. I hope we're able to... Look back on the 90s and draw some draw some hope and inspiration rather than just sort of wallow in despair that they happened 30 years ago because the 90s were so much better than right now. It's true. <laughs> And, like a kiss being blown, we are on the air with old friend but first-time guest, Scott. Otherwise known as Boxed Sets, otherwise known as Crime Hater, otherwise known as, what's your current one? What your current Box ones, sets. Boxed Sets? You've had others, though.
1: I've changed it like five times yeah. over the last couple years. I used to have to keep changing it intermittently because i pissed off tom morello (laughs) this is back when i had like 200 followers uh i pissed off tom morello because he name searches himself and then he posted a screenshot of me uh before i could delete so i had to like lock my account and then for like six months i had like just the biggest fucking freaks online like because there's like ways like people can like still find you well, at least in the past, if you like change your handle, there was like a two hour window where they could still find you using some weird buggery. I don't know. And so I had to keep changing it like over and over again. So it used to be like incomprehensible. How did you piss off that <laughs> histrionic
0: like Harvard faggot Tom Morello?
1: He didn't even name search himself. He name searched Ridge against the machine because I said something. I just posted some shit. This is like before I knew you right. or anything. And like, uh. Uh, I just like posted something about how I saw Rage Against the Machine in concert like 10 years ago and I like, thought it was like felt like I was like a fan of the band at the time. I thought they were good, but like the concert itself like felt evil because it was like proto Antifa yeah. at the time, you know, like it was basically this is that of people who would like later become Antifa. Yeah, that, you know? that
0: basically, so. I mean, Antifa is basically downstream from Rage Against the Machine. They're the aesthetic, right? For sure, yeah. the, the musical. They're the soundtrack of Antifa, fake Harvard-generated, yeah. fake outrage, uh, fake protest. Like it's you know for the all for the for the sake of the glory of the Democrat Party.
1: Yeah, like Tom though, he like posted like a screenshot of me of my post, and then uh, he QT'd me, and then then posted a screenshot, and it got like. I think I like almost like a 100,000 likes. Great.
0: A screenshot <laughs> so, of your comment or your yeah. picture.
1: Of yeah. my comment, but it had like my full like details in it. And god, he's he is such a f- fuck. This is actually ties in well to what we'll be talking about because since this book um, this book we're going to be talking about is very Gen oh, X-y yeah. because it's about the 90s and uh, You know, well, I guess we'll get into it. We can talk about the difference between good Gen X and bad Gen X. (laughs) Absolutely. And uh, Tom is, Tom Morello is very much the absolute worst case scenario of what happened to Gen X. You know, like uh, there's a part early in the book where Chuck says, which I actually thinking about, I kind of agree with. I think he's right when he says that Gen X is actually probably the least annoying generation as a whole, which I think is true. I'd say. Well, that's an interesting uh,
0: comment that stuck out to me because on paper, they're the most annoying generation in the sense that their attitude is the most like a needlingly, cloyingly annoying. Every time you see it, you just kind of makes you want it. It triggers you. At least if you're me, it triggers me. Like that specific Gen X attitude of the specific Gen X attitude of being above it all, being finding it uncool to take a stand about literally anything and therefore and and yet somehow always landing on the side and defending the worst, absolute worst shit that that uh, that culturally occurs. That to me is the essential like Gen X pose, which I understand that it's not like it's not overbearing. It's the least overbearing generation because they're not, you know, they're by nature a self-negating type of it's a self-negating type of attitude and it's a it's a a shirking type of attitude but for me specifically when i see the distilled gen x pure form it it annoys me more than than the pure you know the the distillation of the boomer the distillation of the greatest gen all of which are like bigger and more annoying on a kind of broadway scale but are substantially at least they have some good qualities to them and the gen x substantially seems to really be aimed at my nerve, but I'm curious as to why you agree with that statement. Uh,
1: well, I think if we're just going to talk about the baseline Gen Xer, I'd say the more like normy, apathetic Gen Xer is the type of person I get along with the most. Um, I think in terms of Gen X men, a lot of how annoying they are or not is largely based on their wife like, who they're married to. I think uh, that's kind of where they really, like, by the time they hit their 40s, you could really tell, like, how they were going to turn out, I think. um, Because the Gen X men had a different, somewhat different relationship to women than boomers, I think. Um, Boomers definitely were they had some fucked up gen- gender stuff going on like in terms of relationships. Cause the, you know, they invented divorce and whatnot and which scarred the Gen Xers big time. But uh, so like, I think like you have like, you have like idiot boomer men who just go through like three divorces and shit. Then you, on the flip side though, then you have Gen X men who, if they marry like a chill woman, who's not like super online, for example, or something, or like doesn't had didn't like jump, Full, go fully all in on COVID or BLM or then that if just like maintain like a normal woman, like who did doesn't really care about current events. I think their husbands usually stay cool, you know, but then uh, you meet these, like the worst type of Gen X men always have awful wives as yeah, well. That makes is my point. I, I think guess, that's is okay. what I'm saying.
0: I mean, that also, that also kind you know, of fits the form of being apathetic passive and just sort of you know rounding up or down to whoever's the more powerful person in the in the household um and kind of going with the flow it's funny it makes it, it it's the most in a way it's the most conformist generation like because you're yes yeah, it is because you're not able to they don't have the backbone to take a stand against anything literally so that's how it went from being every that's how it went from being uh, you're, you're un, you know, it's, 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 it's uncouth to be self-righteous about anything to pronouns and bio, because you just don't, it's uncouth to be self-righteous about saying no to pronouns and bio as much as it is to putting pronouns in bio. You know what I mean? Like it's just gonna, you're just going to mm-hmm. give in to the minority rule. Uh, to the to the I, or to the loud idiot minority rule easier than anyone else because you just have nothing, you're just going to go with the flow because it's uncool to say to do anything really.
1: No, that's definitely true. Because um, like yeah, the absolute worst type of gen actors are the ones who latched on to stupid bullshit that was basically invented by millennials because they want to stay relevant or whatever. But then also uh, we also now. Which I think is a fairly recent innovation are the actually self righteous Gen Xers, but they're a fairly new thing that probably only come up in the last like five years. Like the hardcore Libtar Gen Xers are just insufferable, and they are self righteous. But that they kind of like learned how to be self righteous from millennials, yes. I think, because they're the ones who like really want to stay relevant, you know. And that's how you see it, these like just horrendous fucking celebrities like you look up like any like gen x alt comedian nowadays like that type of person you know (laughs) all of them yeah like you look at like look at their time any of their timelines on twitter it's like every like two minutes they're talking screaming about like trans kids healthcare, like some shit that they didn't even know existed until like two years ago you know like they're like they're like worse than millennials defiant brooklyn dad and shit
0: all those like fake accounts all those like uh those uh little like dnc uh culture avatar accounts like brooklyn dad there's that defiant brooklyn dad with that face and he's always like posting about how you're a fucking like you're a fucking bad person and you're a fucking good person uh there's like There's that whole, there's a whole category. I mean, even David Simon, I don't know if he's a boomer or if he's, I think he's Gen X like David's.
1: Yeah. He's like old Gen X. He's like always
0: like saying, he's always like finding a new use with the new way of like employing the word shit or fuck in one of his tweets. Um, in one of his like plain Jane Liptar tweets. He's like endlessly just invent, just like, just like this, like fake tough guy language. Um, but I like the I like this idea of good Gen X versus bad Gen X because to me, that's kind of the theme of the book of Chuck Klosterman's the '90s, and it's kind of the theme of the decade, and it's also kind of the essence of Chuck Klosterman. I've always thought that Chuck Klosterman was good Gen X. He's so Gen X. I mean, there is no one who's more Gen X than Chuck Klosterman spiritually. Um, Klosterman, for those who ha- who don't know, is like this like pop pop culture critic. He's been popular ever since. I think the uh, uh, one of his collections, "Sex, Drugs, and Cocoa Puffs," was the bestseller from like the early two thousands. I was sort of in college or just out of college when that came out, and he was sort of. I think that launched him as a, you know, kind of a funny guy that college people like to read. Very Bill Simmons. Very uh, Bill Simmons connected. He ended up becoming a regular on Bill Simmons's podcast. And those are always the most popular episodes. Um, and, and he's an entertaining writer. Wrote for Esquire and whoever else. Uh, kind of a scatterbrain type. Uh, funny. Loves doing like, you know, it used to be a big thing for him to do these mental experiments. Like, what if you only have seven seconds to live? And, you know, he does like, he, he used to sprinkle those around his all over his books, something that is a very Gen X, those Gen X hypotheticals that I cannot be bothered to give a shit about. Cause I just like, I just, my mind turns off. Like you're, you're, you might as well just play like Filipino anime in front of me. If when you're doing these hypotheticals, but what if you're on a deserted Island and you have, you have, you only have one, you can either tweet one time or you can uh, finger a pussy one time, or what would you do? And all these like real, you know, crazy SAT question, morality questions. I've always hated that shit. Um, and so, but he's a, he's a, so he's an overactive, uh, excitable, but ultimately charming and smart and funny and entertaining, uh, uh, mind. I think that he's, he's been kind of excluded from highbrow circles, but he's more interesting and more entertaining than highbrow books. Even, even his book following the 2016 election, which was, what if we're wrong? He wrote a book called like, what if we're wrong about everything? sim something something like that and and that was actually a far more that turned out to be a far more prescient uh book than anything by by anyone who wasn't fully fully aware of the the truth about trump it wasn't even addressing trump i think it was like published before the trump election but or right around the same time but essentially he had hit upon the accurate truth that the TDS era would reveal, which is that most people, most normies, most everyone have been wrong about just about everything without even knowing it because their entire frame was narrower than they could even imagine. Um, and that's something that you know the Trump era has really exposed and revealed. So I think Closterman's good Gen X, the best Gen X. I've shat on him in the past. I wrote an, a review of one of his books. Um, I forget which one, but I wrote a review for the weekly standard years and years ago. I didn't like completely shit on him, but you know, I kind of found him to be a little bit, his Gen X limitations were, were kind of annoying to me because he, he wrote, he writes these cultural things, but he doesn't really, his frame of reference is very limited to pop culture. It doesn't really go beyond that. Um, and so, you know, you you're kind of at some point it's like being in a racquetball court where the ball is just, <clears throat> Bouncing off the walls, ricocheting, and there isn't really there's there are some harsh limits and ceilings to to where the the, the thought can go. But he's a perfect person to write a book about a, a messy decade. Um, Thirty years later, that is really the defining decade of his generation. The rest of this episode is available only to. Filthy Armenian Adventures Patreon subscribers. Subscribe now at patreon.com slash filthy Armenian to follow the complete twisted adventure and over twice as many episodes, including the most intimate and scandalous ones. Plus the pride of supporting a one of a kind cultural endeavor. Act now and your subscription will come with an array of special gifts. You'll get a flashlight, ...that shines light on all the forbidden territories of our cultural apocalypse. You'll get a compass that guides you through all the lies and psyops and smoke and mirrors that pollute your weekly path from the news. You'll get a library pass to my private collection of books, movies, and music that I deem relevant to any particular moment. You'll get a seat at the table with the filthiest, funniest, and most enchanting movers and shakers of our time and as a subscriber all of these gifts and more will be delivered straight to your home all you have to do is press play